This is VOA News via remote. I'm Tommy McNeil. More is being learned about the young man accused of opening fire on a 4th of July parade in the state of Illinois. We get more from AP correspondent Tim McGuire. 21-year-old Robert Cremo III is accused of killing seven people, wounding dozens of others in an attack on an Independence Day parade in Highland Park, Illinois. State's attorney Eric Reinhardt says he's charged with seven counts of first-degree murder. A mandatory life sentence should he be convicted without the possibility of parole. Investigators say police recalled two incidents in 2019 involving Cremo, an apparent suicide attempt, and later in September, threats against family members. Despite all that, in December 2019, with his father as a sponsor, he applied for a state police gun owner's license. Through that, he legally bought five firearms, including the one used to fire some 70 rounds into the crowd on Monday. Vice President Kamala Harris tells the National Education Association meeting in Chicago. There is no reason that we have weapons of war on the streets of America. I'm Tim McGuire. The governor of the last remaining eastern province, partly under Ukraine's control, urged his more than 350,000 residents to flee as Russia escalated its offensive and air alerts were issued across nearly the entire country. The governor, Pavlo Kirilenko, said that the getting people out of Donetsk province is necessary to save lives and enable the Ukrainian army better to defend towns from the Russian advance. The governor's call for residents to leave appeared to represent one of the biggest suggested evacuations of the war, although it's unclear whether people will be willing and safely able to flee. According to the U.N. Refugee Agency, more than 7.1 million Ukrainians are estimated to be displaced within Ukraine. This is VOA News. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson is clinging to power after two of his most senior cabinet ministers quit, saying they had lost confidence in Johnson's leadership amid shifting explanations about his handling of a sexual misconduct scandal. The Treasury Chief Rishi Sunak and Health Secretary uh, Javid resigned within minutes of each other on Tuesday, costing Johnson the support of the men responsible for tackling two of the biggest health issues, or should say issues in general, facing Britain. That is the cost of living crisis and surging COVID-19 infections. Both men cited Johnson's credibility after a day in which the prime minister was forced to backtrack on earlier statements about a misconduct scandal that has rattled his government for the past six days. South Africa's uh, president uh, will now attend funeral services for 21 teenagers on Wednesday. More from BOA's Joe Ramsey. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa will be in East London as 21 teenagers are laid to rest after dying in a mysterious tragedy at a tavern almost two weeks ago. Hundreds of grieving family members and residents of East London's Scenery Park Township are expected to attend. It's still not known what caused the deaths of the young people aged between 13 and 17 whose bodies were found in the tavern. All were under South Africa's legal drinking age of 18. Pathologists are studying the cause of death from blood samples. A stampede has been ruled out because the victims did not have serious injuries. Joe Ramsey, VOA News. A federal judge has thrown out a host of actions by the Trump administration to roll back protections for endangered or threatened species. This comes a year after the Biden administration said it was moving to strengthen those species' protections. 
The U.S. District Judge John Teeger in Northern California eliminated the Trump-era rules on Tuesday, even as two wildlife agencies under President Joe Biden are reviewing or rescinding the regulations. The decision restores some protections under the Endangered Species Act. While the reviews are completed, environmental groups are hailing the decision, decision which they say speeds up needed protections and designation of critical habitat designations for threatened species, including salmon in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, recapping our top story, uh, the uh, more is being learned about the young man accused of opening fire on the 4th of July parade in the state of Illinois. And the governor of the last remaining eastern province, partly under Ukraine's control, has urged his more than 350,000 residents to flee as Russia escalated its offensive and air alerts were issued. There is more at VOANews.com. Again, VOANews.com via remotes. I'm Tommy McNeil, VOA News. Today is Wednesday, July 6th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedofo in Washington. Coming up in the next half hour, Russia strikes targets across eastern Donetsk region as it seeks more Ukrainian territories. A market in the city of Slovyansk was struck by Russian forces, killing at least two people and injuring seven, according to officials. The World Food Program warns the Central African Republic is facing unprecedented levels of food insecurity. They say the price of rice is expected to rise by 30%, wheat flour by 67%, and vegetable oil by a staggering 70%. And Britain's finance and health ministers resign in a blow to Prime Minister Boris Johnson's premiership. We'll have these stories and more next on International Edition. Stay tuned. Russian forces struck targets across eastern Ukraine, the next region, on Tuesday. This as Russia prepares the path for an expected armored thrust to try to take more territory in the five-month-old war. Olivia Chan of Reuters reports. A market in the city of Slovyansk was struck by Russian forces, killing at least two people and injuring seven, according to officials. Smoke billowed from an auto supply shop and flames engulfed rows of market stalls. The Russian Defense Ministry says it does not target residential areas and added it had used what it called high-precision weapons to destroy command centers and artillery in Donetsk. The capture of the Ukrainian city of Lysychansk on Sunday means all of Luhansk region is now in Russian hands, fulfilling one of Moscow's main war goals. Now Russian forces are aiming to take full control of Donetsk, the other region in Donbass. Since the outset of the conflict, Russia has demanded that Ukraine hand both Luhansk and Donetsk to Moscow-backed separatists who have declared their independence. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said on Monday that despite Ukraine's withdrawal from Lysychansk, its troops continue to fight. The governor of Luhansk said Ukrainian forces, which retreated from Lysychansk at the weekend, took up new defensive lines in Donetsk on Tuesday. Both sides have suffered heavy casualties in the fight for Luhansk, particularly during the siege of the twin cities of Lysychansk and Sivrodonetsk. Both have been left wracked. 
That's Olivia Chen of Reuters. As Russia sets its sights on other parts of Ukraine after the fall of Luhansk, administration officials are bracing for more bitter fighting as Ukrainian forces continue their resistance to the offensive. Analysts say the capture of Luhansk could be a major turning point in Russia's goal of annexing parts of eastern Ukraine. The Pentagon is keeping a wary eye on the Kremlin advances, with President Joe Biden vowing to provide additional military support to Kyiv. For more on the significance of the loss of Luhansk, I spoke with VOA's Pentagon correspondent, Carla Bob. This is putting Russia one step closer to its goal of having a land bridge that goes from Russia proper down to Crimea. Crimea is the area that Russia illegally annexed Crimea back in 2014 from Ukraine. And the Russians would love to have this land bridge, which would include Luhansk, also includes Dunet. That is the other region that they are looking to take completely from Ukraine. And that would allow Russia a lot of advantages. Warm water ports in Crimea, access to the Black Sea. I mean, there's just a lot that Russia could get from having this land bridge. And that's its ultimate goal when it failed to take over all of Ukraine. The overall objective of NATO, the U.S., and some other friendly countries to Ukraine is to prevent what exactly is going on, deny Russia access to the Black Sea and all these advantages you just listed. Are they second-guessing the plan now? Definitely not second-guessing everything that they've provided to Ukraine at this point. I can tell you, speaking to officials, officials had been pushing very hard to help provide the Ukrainians with the latest that they got, these NASMs, their National Advanced Surface-to-Air Missile Systems. This is what President Zelensky of Ukraine had been asking for. This is what, by the way, the U.S. has defending its own capital. Pretty amazing surface-to-air missile systems. And getting those to the Ukrainians is a big deal. A lot of the criticism here in the United States has been with the speed at which the U.S. and its allies have been able to give Ukrainians the assistance that they have gotten so far. We're looking at a ton, uh, billions of dollars of equipment, over a 1,000 Stinger anti-aircraft systems, over 6,000 Javelins. Those are the anti-armor systems that you can put literally on your shoulder, shoot them and run away. So those have been a huge help to the Ukrainians, but it's taken them every time. It's taking them a long time to get what they need. There seems to be a lot of deliberation before they can provide it to the Ukrainians. So I'd say that that's the biggest criticism that we're seeing from the United States. What we're also seeing recently, very recently, with this fall of Luhansk, people are starting to second guess the intelligence community and the Pentagon's assessment of what's happening in Ukraine because they are having deja vu feelings from Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, for several years, the United States, the intelligence community, the Pentagon would paint a much rosier picture than what was actually happening on the ground. We reporters were very critical of this. The very last question that I asked the commander in Afghanistan back in 2018 was on that very advancement of the Taliban. Despite the U.S. saying that it was a stalemate, it appeared that the Taliban was making small gains, but significant gains. And so what Americans are looking at now, a lot of the critics want to make sure that the United States is not painting a rosier picture of what's happening in Ukraine than what's actually going on. That's VOA Pentagon correspondent Carla Bob speaking with me from Washington. Southern European states, including Italy and Spain, are urging NATO allies to address threats from North Africa. As Henry Ridgewell reports from the Spanish capital, while the war in Ukraine dominates NATO agenda, Madrid wants the alliance to prepare for other potential flashpoints. Hundreds of migrants attempted to breach the border fence from Morocco into the Spanish enclave of Melilla last month. 
at least 23 people died. The migrants, mostly from sub-Saharan Africa, are desperate to reach Europe. Many arrive by boat on the Spanish Canary Islands, and Spain fears the pressure on its borders could be about to get worse. Ukraine is one of the world's top suppliers of grain. The Russian invasion has cut exports by around two-thirds. The United Nations has warned that will exacerbate an already worsening hunger crisis in Africa. Europe is readying for a spike in migration. Madrid warns that migration could be used as a pressure tactic by hostile actors. A resurgent Islamist militancy in parts of the Sahel is also driving migrant flows. Europe says Russian mercenaries from the Wagner Group are exacerbating the conflict. Spain is seeking international help. In March, it struck a deal with Morocco to secure a clampdown on irregular migration. Critics accuse Madrid of outsourcing migration policy to a country with a history of human rights abuses. The Moroccan government denies those accusations. At last week's NATO summit in Madrid, Spain secured official recognition by the alliance of the threats emanating from North Africa. Meanwhile, NATO and EU forces held exercises in recent days just off the Spanish and North African coasts. Residents of the Spanish town of Tarifa had a front row view of the drills. Spain insists it is not calling for any NATO intervention in North Africa but instead recognition of what it calls hybrid threats. Many NATO members say the lesson from Ukraine is that the alliance needs to be better prepared for future crises. And here in the south of Europe, allies warn that instability in North Africa could be the next big problem. Henry Ridgewell for VOA News, Madrid. The World Food Programme warns that the Central African Republic is facing unprecedented levels of food insecurity due to conflict population displacement, widespread poverty, and underdevelopment. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. WFP officials say they anticipate a sharp increase in commodity prices this year and extending well into 2023. They say the price of rice is expected to rise by 30 percent, wheat flour by 67 percent, and vegetable oil by a staggering 70 percent. That, they note, will make staple food products unaffordable for millions of people, leading to more hunger and more distress as people are forced to resort to extreme measures to put food on the table. WFP spokesman Thompson Theory says 2.2 million people are food insecure in CAR. The figure might not shock you out of your seats, but when you look at the population size, that's nearly half the population of the Central African Republic. And the country now joins uh, the League of Nations, such as Afghanistan, Yemen, South Sudan, with, with, with highest proportion of acutely food insecure. As less food becomes available, Theory says more children will suffer from malnutrition. UNICEF says the number of severely acutely malnourished children under age five is expected to rise in the country by 10% this year to 69,000. Children suffering from the condition are at risk of dying if they do not get the right medical and nutritional care. Theory says the WFP is struggling to provide the food and specialized treatment needed by children women and other vulnerable people in the CAR, and a lack of money 
is hindering those efforts. Our costs of operating are, are, are skyrocketing. The United Nations World Food Programme is appealing urgently for $68.4 million dollars uh, without immediate funding, food and nutrition insecurity will only increase for millions of people. Theory says the challenges facing the CIR are well documented and predate the crisis in Ukraine. But noting the impact of the war on rising commodity and fuel prices, he says humanitarian assistance will be required well beyond this year and into 2023. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. In other news, Britain's finance and health ministers resigned on Tuesday in what looked to be the final blow for Prime Minister Boris Johnson's premiership after he had tried to apologize for the latest scandal to dog his administration. Both Finance Minister Rishi Sunak and Health Minister Sadiq Javid resigned in what appeared to be a choreographed release of letters to the Prime Minister in which both took aim at his ability to run an administration that adhered to standards. The resignations came as Johnson was apologizing what he said was a mistake for not realizing that a former minister in charge of pastoral care was not suitable for a job in government after complaints of sexual misconduct were made against him. For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You are listening to VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedrofo in Washington. There's growing alarm among European and other environmentalists over what they say is government's failure to ensure healthy oceans which are vital for food, jobs, biodiversity, and even the air we breathe. Calls to action backdropped a UN ocean conference last week and framed another key oceans meeting in August. From Paris, Lisa Bryant reports. United Nations Secretary-General Antonio Guterres calls it an ocean emergency. Global heating is pushing ocean temperatures to record levels, creating fiercer and more frequent storms. Sea levels are rising. Low-lying island nations face inundation, and some 8 million tons of plastic waste enter the oceans every year. Those are just some of the threats facing the oceans, which cover 70% of the Earth's surface. Overfishing, shipping, and ocean wind turbines also pressure marine ecosystems. At an ocean conference in Lisbon last week, Guterres and others called for faster, stronger protection measures. Green groups claim the meeting failed to deliver real progress. Environmentalists hope for better results next month when countries resume discussions on a global agreement to protect critical ocean ecosystems. For some, that includes a ban on deep-sea mining, which could start as early as 2023. While countries like China are exploring mining opportunities, critics claim the practice could destroy fragile seabeds and ecosystems. Those critics include President Emmanuel Macron of France. I think we have indeed to create the legal framework to stop the high sea mining and precisely and not to allow new activities putting in danger these ecosystems. We know almost nothing about the deep sea. We don't know a lot about the ecosystem. It's a very complex and uh, slow ecosystem. It takes decades or even more uh, for, for animals to grow. 
Tobias Troll is Marine Policy Director for Seas at Risk, an umbrella group of more than 30 European environmental associations. So imagine you put these huge robots down there. It can just trigger all kinds of effects on this ecosystem, which then, of course, can trickle up, so to say, into the food chain. Here in Europe and elsewhere, green groups are also pushing countries to meet the ocean promises they've already made. That includes the European Union's 2030 Healthy Oceans Goals. A new environmental report card by six EU nonprofits finds a block met just one of eight progress markers last year. Lisa Bryant for VOA News, Paris. Italy is dealing with an unusual early heat wave and little rain this summer. The government has declared a state of emergency in five regions to deal with the drought. Emergency funds were also announced and special powers given to the regions to help guarantee public safety and compensation for agricultural losses. The emergency will add food security concerns that already been felt because of the war in Ukraine. Sabina Castelfranco reports from Rome. Italy is facing its worst drought in 70 years, and the Italian cabinet was forced to declare a state of emergency in five northern Italian regions until the end of this year. It also announced $39.5 million in emergency funds to assist those affected by the worsening drought. The heat and lack of rain being experienced, particularly in the Po Valley, are not only drying up the rivers, but causing significant concern to the agriculture sector in what is normally one of the breadbaskets in the country. Meucho Berselli is the Secretary General for the District Authority of the Po Valley. He says it's the perfect storm, less than 70% of snow in the winter, four months of lack of rain, temperatures three to four degrees higher than the seasonal average. The Po River, Italy's largest fresh water source, is vital for irrigation, just like other Italian waterways, the Arno, the Aniene and the Tiber, all of which have been suffering from much less water this summer, raising fears for crops in other areas as well. Water levels in lakes are also lower this year. Italy's National Research Council says there has been half the amount of rain this year compared to the average in the last three decades and up to 60% less in northern regions. Coldiretti, Italy's largest agriculture union, has warned that the drought is threatening 30-40% to of the seasonal harvest and half the livestock farming in the Po Valley, a situation likely to spread to other areas. Climate change and food insecurity have been a growing concern globally and are constantly discussed at high-level international meetings. The war in Ukraine has also brought worries about new food shortages. On the sidelines of a recent ocean conference in Lisbon, Sophie Miller, an activist with the group Ocean Rebellion, said, climate change is going to get worse and there will be more wars and more conflicts. In that scenario, the early drought this summer in Italy is an additional problem. Sabina Castelfranco for VOA News, Rome. This is Science in a Minute. The commissioning of the James Webb Space Telescope is almost complete. Each instrument has several modes of operation, and all modes must be given the final go-ahead before being considered fully commissioned. 
NASA reports that two of the observatory's four instruments have been fully cleared and are ready to perform their science missions. With this edition of Science in a Minute, only one mode for each of the two remaining instruments needs to be checked and readied for full operation. According to a Space Agency press release, NASA, in partnership with the European Space Agency and Canadian Space Agency, will release the James Webb Space Telescope's first full-color images and spectroscopic data at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time on Tuesday, July 12th. I'm VOA's Rick Pantaleo. Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and our panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including Russia's aggression against Ukraine is high on the agenda as U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken meets with other foreign ministers from the Group of 20 this week in Bali, Indonesia. Join us for Issues in the News this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Hey there, it's Shauna Renee, also known as the Lady DJ, inviting you to join me every Thursday at 10 and 2200 UTC for today's hit countdown. Each week, I count down the top 20 songs in pop music according to Billboard and Rolling Stone magazines, but more importantly, according to you, the VOA listeners. Again, that's Thursdays at 10 and 2200 UTC right here on VOA1. Go beyond the daily headlines with VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. Each weekday at 2105 UTC, join me, Steve Miller, as I put the latest developments into a global context with interviews and analysis. Listen online at voanews.com slash flashpoint or in your favorite podcast player. And to our VOA listeners, please note we have moved our programs to a new website, voaafrica.com. From voanews.com, there you'll find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com, and thanks for listening. This has been International Edition under Voice of America. On behalf of the entire production team, thank you so much for listening. Visit our website for in-depth coverage of all events and news 24 hours a day at voaafrica.com. Until next time, I am Chinedwafo in Washington. Have a wonderful day. An editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. The United States is deeply concerned by the June 14th mass conviction of some 60 opposition activists in Cambodia, including Cambodian-American lawyer Thierry Seng. The sentencing of these opposition activists, many of whom are associated with the disbanded Cambodia National Rescue Party, is the latest instance in an alarming pattern of threats, intimidation, and persecution of opposition political leaders and parties. 
Convicted of treason, Thierry Sang was sentenced to six years in prison. The others received sentences of five to eight years. Thierry Sang told reporters she was ready for a sham guilty verdict. I am ready and prepared to go to the notorious Cambodian prison for my political opinions, for my beliefs, for my belief in democracy, for my belief in freedom, she said. I am ready to pay the price of prison in order that I live out my conscience and my belief in freedom and justice. U.S. Ambassador to Cambodia Patrick Murphy tweeted out, We are deeply troubled by the verdict against Thierry Sang. Freedom of expression and association and tolerance of dissenting views are vital components of democracy. We call on Cambodian authorities to release her and other human rights activists from unjust imprisonment. Prime Minister Hun Sen has ruled Cambodia for 37 years, rising to prominence in the 1980s after the defeat of the Khmer Rouge regime. The Cambodian National Rescue Party was Hun Sen's biggest political rival before it was disbanded by a court ruling prior to national elections in 2018 that led to victory for Hun Sen's Cambodia People's Party. Thierry Sang and most of the other defendants were charged over a failed attempt by the leader of the Cambodia National Rescue Party to return from exile in 2019. All Cambodians should be able to exercise their human rights, to express their views freely, to assemble peacefully and to choose their leaders, said State Department spokesperson Ned Price. We call on Cambodian authorities to release all those unjustly detained, including Thierry Sang, and protect freedoms of expression, association, and peaceful assembly, consistent with Cambodia's constitution and its international obligations and commitments. The United States stands with the Cambodian people and remains steadfast in support of their aspirations for democracy and human rights. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government.